The following podcast is brought to you by Radio Southland and New Zealand On Air. Radio Southland is a community access media station based in Invercargill, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website, radiosouthland.org.nz, for our contact details. Guess what? It's now 2022 and you're still listening to Grinding Gears with Pete. And Aaron. Right here, right now on Radio South the 96.4 and Coast Access Radio Carpety. Also on iTunes and Spotify, or you can just stream us on accessmedia.nz. And check out our Facebook page, just search Grinding Gears.
You're back on Grinding Gears with Pete. And Aaron. And Radio South 96.4 and Coast Access Radio Capity. And looking back on last year, well, it had its ups and downs, but it was a bumpy year for Bugatti sales. And mostly in North America, uh, where new orders for the first six months were up seven times compared to the same period for the year before. There was a certain uh, pandemic clearly had an effect on the 2020 year's numbers. Nevertheless, uh, the boost in sales has been seen North America become Bugatti's biggest market for the first time, overtaking Europe, which until now has held the title. Now, Bugatti doesn't provide a breakdown of its sales figures, let alone orders being made by its customers in the US. And mind you, we are talking teeny numbers here. Bugatti delivers less than 100 cars per year, and that's worldwide. Yeah, according to Cedric Davey, uh, Chief Operating Officer at Bugatti of the Americas, helping with the local effort has been a very engaged dealer network in the U.S. Uh, for example, with its Chiron Pura Sport model, uh, Bugatti took one of the cars to dealerships across the region, allowing dealers to uh, help customers get better acquainted with the model and its specific traits. Uh, the result was that 70% of Pura Sports buyers new to the brand. Mm, and Bugatti's latest model is the Chiron Super Sport, which was uh, revealed uh, last June on the 8th and already shows significant interest in North America. Thanks to this interest, Bugatti said it was on track for a record year in this region. And they weren't wrong considering they're actually officially sold out already this year. Yeah, so what's uh, all the fuss about? Well, the Chiron Super Sport is a slightly more civilised version of the Chiron Super Sport 300 Plus car that had a top speed of 304.73 mile an hour at the Volkswagen Group's era Russian uh, test track in Germany back in 2019. Now the Supersport features the same long tail design of the 300 plus but has a suspension setup that provides a better balance between comfort and performance. Its top speed is also capped at a 273 mile an hour although I'm sure it'll be fast enough for most owners. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, pricing for the share on Supersport started at 3.2 million euros, which is approximately 5.7 million New Zealand dollars. And the customers can expect to receive their cars early this year. Yeah, starting with, and sticking with the European rides. And according to the Telegraph from the UK, the missing James Bond Aston Martin DV5 was reportedly found. Now, this is a 1963 DB5 originally used in the filming of Goldfinger. The rumour was this particular one, chassis number DP-216-1, was being stored at the Boca Raton Airport in Florida inside a secured hangar when thieves broke in and stole the bloody thing in June of 1997. The only thing left were tire tracks and the classic British car being dragged. Presumably to a wrecker, although some have theorised it was actually loaded onto a cargo plane. Yeah, well, some believe the car was kept in the United States. Others firmly believe it was taken overseas, leading to a worldwide hunt. Now, investigators believe they've located it in the Middle East. Uh, where exactly it's been kept hasn't been divulged by the Art Recovery International, a group which has tracked down countless stolen items. Uh, the only clue that a witness saw the movie in a, in a private setting and that Dubai, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait and Bahrain are particular areas of interest. Now what makes this Aston Martin a standout 
even among the few of its peers on the planet, is the fact that this one is the gadget car used in filming Goldfinger. Many of the interesting features installed uh, for the movie are pop-out machine guns, tar shredders, smokescreen funnels, as well as, uh, you know, the water oil sprayers. Yeah, reportedly someone has been able to verify the serial number on 3DB5 is matching for the one that's on the missing car, and it's estimated the classic car is now worth over $25 million. Mm. Yeah, Christopher Marinello, the chief executive of the Art Recovery International, is optimistic the movie car will be recovered soon. Marinello told The Telegraph in an interview he's hopeful that the possessor will come forward voluntarily before they have to make an announcement. He stated it is their policy to give possessors of uh, stolen and looted objects every opportunity to do the right thing. You know, did the current possessor know the car was stolen when he or she acquired it, you know? But uh, now they do know, they should make every effort to have a discreet, confidential discussion about how to uh, clear the title to this iconic vehicle. Yeah, Anthony um, Fugliese, we'll just say Anthony, <laughs> uh, an American businessman and car collector, was the owner of the James Vaughan Aston Martin DB5 when it was stolen. Some accused him of paying to have it stolen as part of an insurance scam even saying it was dropped into the Atlantic Ocean from a plane so it would never be found again. Mm-hmm. And Anthony has denied these allegations, saying it could have easily sold the classic movie car instead of collecting the insurance money. Yeah. Pugliese, or Anthony, will call him here, bought the car for 275000 at a Sotheby's New York auction back in 1986. After it was stolen, the insurance company paid a whopping $4.2 million. And is offering a hundred grand reward for information leading to the safe return of this Aston Martin. And considering its value today, the insurance company might well make off like a bandit when it's all said and done. Yeah, theories about where the Goldfinger DB5 driven by Sean Connery when he played that Y7 went uh, have been flying around the world for years. Some believed an ultra rich person paid to have it stolen has it sitting in a private collection in its house. It's like a real-life Bond villain. <laughs> Others think that it's being sold on the black market, although you can't really hide a car like this. No. But now to a different find, and uh, this is actually one how Jerry Seinfeld found Steve McQueen's Porsche 917 on a used car lot. That's the actual 917 that starred in the movie Le Mans. So here's how it happened. This comedian has a vast collection of Porsches. He's a real car guy. But uh, perhaps most interesting is this 917, chassis 022, one of the cars Steve McQueen used in his 1971 movie Le Mans, which I've actually got somewhere on the computer. Seinfeld bought the car in the early 2000s, but has never told the story of how they came to acquire it until now. Yeah, Seinfeld recently went on to Spike First Things podcast, Spike Car Radio, to talk about the purchase. After the movie filming ended, the car was sold to Reinhold, Jost, who took it racing in Europe, and then it was sold to Richard Atwood in 1975, the winner of the actual 1970-24 hour Le Mans. He repainted he it in the colours that were used on the 917 he used to win before selling it at auction uh, in, the, uh, two, in 2000 for around $1.2 million. Yep, and the car was then repainted in its original golf livery before eventually ending up in a Los Angeles dealership showroom on Wilshire Boulevard in 2002. Bernstein actually spotted the car while driving by one day and he reached out to Seinfeld about, uh, you know, going to check it out and apparently even bought a camera with him. Yeah, the dealer later invited Seinfeld and his friends to Lloyd Springs' 
see the 917 on the track. Hilariously, one of the front wheels fell off while I was on the move. <laughs> Nevertheless, old Seinfeld wanted the race car in his collection. He didn't have any at this time. So after about a week of negotiating, um, he um, bought it. <laughs> Interesting stuff. And that guy has some freaking nice Porsches and actually other cars. Right now we've got some music coming up, but more to come. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. But your love won't pay my bills. I want money. still here and hopefully so are you this is grinding gears with pete and aaron coming to you from radio south and 6.4 and coast access radio capity and guess what a wrx sti driver filmed a prototype version of the upcoming 400z easily pulling ahead of them on a highway after starting a bit of an impromptu race yeah if you're in cars the natural reaction to spotting a development prototype while out on a drive is is to get your passenger to start filming or taking photos. A Subi WRX SDI driver went one step further after spying a Nissan 400Z on a highway recently, deciding to give the guy a bit of a race. Yeah, test driver in the Z was clearly up some fun and obliged. You can only guess as to what their boss would have made of this, but the result is a good advert for the Z's performance. The car easily pulling ahead. Uh, you'd have to have a look on YouTube for the video. I didn't actually note down the thing. 
another we should be hugely surprised though it's got a three liter twin turbo v6 and it's good for 395 brake horsepower giving it a good 100 brake horse uh, advantage over the subi the latter is said to be modified from the sounds of it but apparently the cars have been extensively tweaked yeah you don't get to hear the v 6 with the WX Burberry box of full complete drowning it out. Uh, we did get a listen to this very same test car under the load a few weeks ago in the video though. It sounded pretty good from what the twin exit exhaust. Mm. Uh, it's a sound the UK won't get to enjoy though, with Nissan electing to keep the Z away from Europe as a whole. Uh, the many people over there have seen on the telly that have got those 350 Zs is nuts, but anyway, I guarantee they would have sold some. They reckon you can thank the poorly performing sports car market there, and of course tougher EU emissions rules for that. Uh, we have no idea about Australasia yet, but fingers crossed, there is no reason why not. And for those in the US who will be able to buy one, they can expect to pay around about $40,000 for the entry-level sport trim version. That probably won't be worth upgrading to performance spec, um, which includes bigger brakes, Rear spoiler and limited slip differential amongst other improvements. Yeah, they seem to be making it a bit cheaper. The 300ZX is like mine from the 90s, all came out with limited slip diffs and the big four pot brakes. And things seemed to actually change when they brought out that 350Z. Anyway, we're switching it up now with Tesla time and a prototype battery has powered a Tesla Model S for 752 miles on one charge. Michigan based. Battery startup one actually retrofitted its 207.3 kilowatt per hour pack in the same space as the Tesla original 103.9 kilowatt per hour battery pack, and that's twice the life for the same space. Mm-hmm. Range anxiety is still basically the main reason why many people are wary of buying electric vehicles. But what if there is a battery capable of offering? Well, look at this: 1,210 kilometers in metric speak of range to an EV the size of a Tesla Model S. Well, exactly what these guys have done. Uh, our next NG1 claims it's proof of concept battery. It's powered electric vehicle for the equivalent length of the Southland and then some without recharging. Yeah. The vehicle, a Tesla Model S retrofitted with one prototype battery, completed a road test across Michigan in mid-December with an average speed of around about 55 mile an hour, which is it was, uh, 88 kilometers an hour. The test car achieved 752 miles and a full battery charge, and the results were validated by a third party using a vehicle dynamometer. Dynamometer? <laughs> dynamometer. So, what, yeah, that pretty fancy word for measuring distance thingy magic. And later on, that Model S was put on a dynamometer at 55 miles an hour, and it ran an impressive um, 882 miles, and that's 1419 Ks on one charge. Mm-hmm. Mujib Ijaz, founder and CEO of One, stated that they want to accelerate the adoption of electric vehicles by eliminating range anxiety, which, as we said before, holds back most consumers today. They are now focused on evolving this uh, proof-of-concept battery into a new product called Gemini, which will enable long-distance trips on a single charge while improving cost and safety using actually sustainable materials. Yeah, the company reckons that even the highest range electric vehicles sold today lack the surplus energy required to overcome factors such as high speed driving, uh, extreme weather, mountainous terrain, or towing trailers in real world conditions. 
These factors can lead to a loss of more than 35% of rated range, making road trips less enjoyable than they should be. Hodges claims the new battery is the solution for this problem. Mmm, 35, that's over a third you taken off your range there, just towing some and going up a hill. Cell yeah. is... The one Gemini battery aims to eliminate range as a barrier to electric vehicle adoption by doubling the available energy on board in the same package space. Yep, <laughs> certainly proved that. The battery has been designed to offer enough range for every consumer to make an electric vehicle their only vehicle. Yeah, as we noted before, one retrofitted is 207.3 kilowatt single pack in the same space as the Tesla's Model 3, uh, Model S long range plus 103 0.9 kilowatt per hour battery. And this means it's far more energy dense with miles per kilowatt per hour. Consumption is roughly the same as that of original battery. The prototype pack used in the demonstration featured different cells, including high energy cobalt nickel cells, the CEO called, uh, told Car and Driver magazine. However, the cells intended for the production battery are still a little bit under development. But batteries are always developing, like solar panels and like everything else, so uh, it's going to be exciting to see what happens, eh? But now it's uh, that time where our batteries start to get a bit flat, so till next week, don't be a dick, make it click.
The preceding podcast was brought to you by Radio Southland with the support of New Zealand On Air. Their funding of accessmedia.nz makes these podcasts available. To find similar programs by other stations involved, go online to accessmedia.nz.